0: Good morning, how are you guys? So, it's good morning, hope you guys are staying, we, we tried to cool this place down, we got it a little too cool earlier, so I think we got the temperature regularly regulated, so uh, you guys have the best service today. It's all good? Hey, um, I was thinking this week, uh, because there's such a, a lack of it around here, but I was thinking a lot about water this week. <laughs> um. But, uh, you know, here we live in the ocean state and we're surrounded by water, and we think that that's mainly the reason that we think kind of so much about it and associate so much with it. But, you know, human beings, I was, uh, all of us, when you take into account how much of our lives is, is centered around water. Um, it's weeks like this last one that kind of stand out because it's like we can't water our lawns. We can't. You're constantly going in and getting a glass of water if you're doing anything outside. And so, uh, water is a huge, important part of our lives. Um, 60% of our bodies are made up of water. 75% of our our planet is covered with water. And so, water has become We've taken that and, and we have a lot of metaphors then that we've developed about life that have to do with water. And so you think about, um, you know, when you make a kind of big entrance somewhere, you call it, you say you made a big splash in your life or you made a big splash as you entered the place. If something's not not very important, then you say it's just a drop in the bucket of all the other water. If if circumstances come into your life and they're, they're coming faster than you had anticipated. You, and sometimes you'd say, if it rains, it pours, right? And, and then if they really come at you, you could even say, it was like a flood coming at me because it's just, we, we associate so much of this with water. And um, you know, Jesus used that same, that same image even of the flood when he, he talked about when we build our lives, he says, it's like we build them Like a house, and we either build on a rock or we might build on the sand with no foundation. But then when the flood comes, and the way he tells it is kind of like, you can count on it. There's going to be a flood that comes. And when the flood crashes against the house, what's going to make the difference is how well that house is founded on a rock, the kind of footing it has. Because when a flood comes, when, I mean, a little water is great and we all need water, but too much water is just too much, right? And when that too much water comes, the thing that makes the difference is, is that footing that you have, whether it's a flood or whether it's, you're standing in a river or whether you're out at the beach and you're just bracing, you see a wave coming in. You gotta get your footing and it has to be this sure footing. When we talk about the metaphor of life, what we wanna find out is what does it mean to have good footing in life then, right? If the circumstances are gonna come like that flood, like that wave, like that unexpected, like that current that's constantly going past us, what is, how is it that we find a sure footing? You know, in the passage that we're reading today, um, God, we're, we're gonna be looking at the, the book of um, Joshua and God has this leader that he's chosen for his people. So Joshua is the leader of Israel. He's gonna lead the people of Israel into the land that God promised to them generations before. By the time we get to this story, God has already gotten them out of Egypt, miraculously. He's already opened the Red Sea, so they walked through this ocean miraculously. He's led them through a desert for 40 years and kept them alive, miraculously. And they have just come through, just prior to this story we're gonna read, they have just come through this raging river Now, it was like spring flood stage, and it was outside his banks, but God did the same thing at the River Jordan that he did at the Red Sea, where he split it open, and they walk right through the middle of it. But now here they are, and they're on the edge of this promised land. And It's like God did all of this to show them, because they're on the edge of this promised land, and they're going into a land where there are these huge fortresses of walled cities. They're just massive walls. On these cities, they have these giants that literally are inhabiting the land. They're just giants among, they're huge um, human beings. And they have these armies that are known for their ferocity and fighting. And they're walking into this thing. So they've literally come through the flood of the, of the stream, of the river. But now they face this torrent that they're still up against this flood that's coming against them of what they are facing ahead. And they need to know where are we going to find our footing. How can we be sure that we are going to be able to continue this journey? How can we get any further along in this journey? So let's stand together. We're going to pick up our story at that point in Joshua 5, verse 10 through 15. So they've just come through the River Jordan, and it says, while the people of Israel camped at Gilgal, and I want you to remember that name, Gilgal, because we're going to take a look at that. But They observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains to the east of Jericho. So Jericho is this first walled city that they're about to hit. And uh, on the very next day, the day after the Passover, they ate some of the produce from the land. They made unleavened cakes and, and parched grain. And the manna, which God had been providing throughout their years in the wilderness, ceased on the day that they ate from the produce of the land. So God had fed them with this miraculous food in the wilderness, the manna, but that ceased on the day they started eating from the fruit of the land. So the people of Israel no longer had manna, but instead ate from the produce of the land of Canaan during that year. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho. So he's out surveying Jericho. They lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, "'Are you for us or perhaps for our enemies?' And the man said, "'Not at all, "'for I am here as the captain of the armies of the Lord.' And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, "'What then has my Lord to say to his servant?' And the captain of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So here's God assuring Joshua that if there was going to be someone who was going to provide that foothold that Joshua would need in that raging torrent of what they were about to face, it was him, that God was going to be with them. And that's a promise that he gives us, he gives us as his people. I think it's funny that God literally told Joshua, take your shoes off, kind of like he's saying, these aren't gonna help you as much as I am. So take the shoes off, kind of get rid of all that stuff you've been thinking that you could count on and trust in, I'm the one you need to rely on here. You're over your head. And that's, that's life, isn't it? You guys, God has promised that he is the one who goes before us, that he is the ground that is beneath us. He is the one that gives us that foundation. He is the one that stands on our side and holds our hand. He is the one who gets us through. He is the one who is that foothold in the flood, that steadiness in that torrent that comes against us. Today's message is titled, The Foothold in the Current. Father, this morning, Uh, We want to hear from you because uh, we always, if we're not facing it now, we face it in the past and we know we're gonna face it in the future, there are gonna be things that come crashing against us. There are gonna be those streams that look like barriers in front of us that need to be crossed. And God, you said that we would be crossing them. But God, they are out of our league. But they are well within yours. And so we ask that today that we would We would hear your word, that your spirit would be speaking to our hearts, that you would be shaping our lives to teach us to be those people that know how to let you be the one who gives us that foothold, that that firm foundation that we need against those things that crash into our lives. Father, be with us, speak to us. Pray that our lives as we leave this place would be more like Jesus than when we came in. That people would see more of him in us. So Father, we ask you to do this for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. And we ask these things would be by the power of your spirit. Amen. 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 Have a seat. So when our kids were little, and and I'm pretty sure I've told you guys about this before, but we went to this place in the mountains of North Carolina called Sliding Rock. It's this natural water slide, goes down over the rocks. It's really fun, and they've been using it for years, but it ends in this just icy pool of snow melt. So basically, the experience is, it's a beautiful setting, you're going down, it's a wonderful ride, and then it's a horrible shock at the end. And because of that, Carrie decided, hey, you can take the two oldest kids and I'll just take Katie and we'll watch from the sidelines. Um, so I did. I got in there and we went down there and it was everything we expected. We, were, we had you know, beautiful surroundings. We went down and had a great time until you hit the end of the water. Carrie said, my face looked like I had been shot. So, um, but we got out of there. We decided that was probably enough. Went on uh, with life it was a great it was a great day it was a fun experience. Um, one of the things though that stood out in that uh, and it actually I had been there as a child with my family earlier you know in my life and then it was fun to bring my kids there. but one of the things that stood out and when it it kind of jumped out at me as an adult with my kids, I remembered it had struck me as a kid as well and it was Just the water going over those rocks and how much force it had, how much power there was because there was only like an inch of water coming over, especially around the edges that was coming over those rocks and yet, you had to be careful not just because the rocks were slippery but because of just the force that was coming at you that your your feet didn't get swept out from under you so I'm having to watch our kids as they're down there to make sure that they they are safe and so, you think about that. I mean, just an inch of water or so coming over those. And how far do you have to kind of bring that up before it becomes just impossible, right? Is it up to your, up to your ankles? Is it up to your shins? Is it up to your knees? Is it you know, up to your chest? How much can you take before you, cannot, uh, you can't withstand it? And it ends up that it only takes about six inches of water. It's about you know, somewhere up your shin that all of a sudden it's gonna be so much flowing that you're not gonna be able to actually uh, stand against it. You're going to need something that provides you, and even in six inches, you're gonna need that something that just provides that foothold for you if you're gonna stand against that kind of a force. You know, We look at water and we think it's so important to us, it's refreshing, it's all those positive things. You have a pool of water, it's fun to you know, refresh yourself and swim in but um, water has this side of it that it can be deadly. It can be destructive. We've seen that, you know, this last month, we have, seen, we have seen more major floods in more just diverse, crazy places, not just in the United States, just this month, but throughout the world, because water has that side. And, and if you are going to be, kind of stepping into that you need to make sure that you have that kind of foothold that kind of foundation that allows you to stand against it Joshua and the people of Israel they had come On the other side of the Jordan, they had arrived at kind of the gate of the the promised land, and it was early spring. It was late March, early April. It was the time that they would typically celebrate Passover is when they had left Egypt. So they're coming about the same time that they had left Egypt. But because of that, this river, the Jordan that flows between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, it is just swollen with waters outside of its banks. It it had all the water that had poured down into it from the rainy season, plus the snow that was starting to melt off of the hills and off in the mountains. And so there was a lot of water flowing down. They look at that and they know, we cannot possibly get across this until probably midsummer. You know, we can't get across with our families, with our uh, belongings, with all that we have. We can't get across this. But God told them, he said, you're going to be crossing this in a few days. And so they knew, you know, God had to do something, uh, and it ends up that they did. And how God um, had them go at this—I I love God's plans in all of these stories because they don't—they don't strike me as um, particularly good plans, but uh, or they don't sound like great plans. But you know, the, the people of Israel by this point—they're just like, "Let's just do what He says," and they do, and God makes a way. So He said, "What I want you to do is I want you to take." The, the Ark of the Covenant and the, the priests that normally carry that, and they'll, they'll go and they'll walk into the water. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is basically a, a big box and it's covered with gold. And if you took it apart scientifically, you'd find there was wood and there was gold and there's stone and stuff like that in there. But you wouldn't find anything significant about it except for the fact that God said, this is where I will make known to you that I'm with you. That's really what it was. Nothing special about the box. It was the fact that God said, this is where I will make known to you I'm with you. Now, I want to take a tangent real quick. I hadn't even thought about this. We're taking communion this morning. And we talk about communion as being sacramental. It's not just bread. It's not just juice. You take those apart, that's all you're going to find. But the reality is, is God said, this is where I make known to you, I am with you. Because of that, things happen as we come to this table that have everything to do with God and everything to do with things that are so far beyond us, but it's not because of what's there. It's because God said he would be here. And our lives are like that. Our lives are... You take me apart. I'm just just like anybody else on the planet. You take me apart and you will find no elements that are supernatural from somewhere. You will just find stuff. The only thing that makes me or you different is because God has said, because of Jesus, this is where I make known I am with you. Amen? Amen? And so his Ark of the Covenant is sitting there and he says, Take this up and the and the, the priests take up the Ark of the Covenant. And he says, And I want you to walk into the river. And they're going, Oh great. Right, And he says, it's not until all of you are in the river that you're gonna see what's gonna happen. But he says, walk into the river. So all of them go in and they're, you know, they're up to the, the last priest, walks in, his feet are fully in that flooded river. And he says, the, God split the river. He stopped the flow from up above and the river went dry miles to either side. Suddenly they don't just have an opening, they have a highway across this river. And the people of Israel go across. What's funny is, it, I love the humanity in scripture too because it says they, many of them, were, they scrambled across, right? Because you're like, I hope it holds, right? Because <laughs> they're not sure when's the water coming back? But God says, I'm gonna hold it. And he does. In fact, he, they get all their stuff and all their families and everything's across. In fact, they get some extra warriors across to help them out on the other side. They even pick up 12 stones out of the middle of the river because God says, pick up these stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel, set them up in a circle out over here, out in this thing as a memorial. So when your kids come and they say, what are those stones for, mom and dad? You say to them, these are stones that came from the middle of the river because this is where God took us across. And it says, to this day, those stones remained. So God takes them across and then he calls the, the priests out and as soon as the last one steps outside of the flood plain, All the water comes rushing back. And so God had got his people across. You guys, there are some times that in our lives we come across something, and and this is regularly. We come up to something as a barrier, and we know we are out of our league. You can cross the Jordan River on a normal kind of a summer day. The river's down, it's not flowing too bad. But when you come against it in the springtime, you're going to get swept downstream. You're going to get, you're going to probably be dead by the time you get, you're going to drown in that. It is too much. And there are times that we come up against stuff regularly and we think, well, I can manage this. It only takes six inches of water to sweep you off your feet. And sometimes circumstances look like that and they go, oh, that doesn't look that bad. Have you seen those videos of the cars that try and get across these big, you know, Gullies filled with water, and all of a sudden they're like, boof, and they're floating downstream. You've seen those? And that's what we think. We think, I can do this. I have enough. I, you know, It doesn't look that bad. It takes six inches, circumstance the same way. That doesn't look that bad. I think I can make it through it. I'm okay. But what we find sometimes is this, it's not. It's this raging torrent, and it just tears us up. And when we get to that place, we need something that's beyond us. That's when God says, that's the God I am. I am the God who walks with you through the river so that you have that sure footing that you're going to need. You will not be able to do this on your own. When we try to manage the unmanageable, things usually go wrong. God says, if... If you will trust me, he is the God that can, he can part an ocean. He can stop a roaring river. He is the one that can, that can neutralize, make powerless those forces that come up against us that regularly just like an army almost array themselves against us in our lives. He's the one. Now, Here's the people of Israel, they've just gotten through this, they found out that this is their God, and they're on the other side of this river, and they see the river come raging back. You know, in that moment that you've just seen a river part when you needed it to part, right, and it stayed, and it, it you know, you don't ask questions how this happened, because if it's all circumstantial, you're going, yeah, but amazing timing, right? And you're going, if there was ever a day that was my lucky day, this might be it, Right? That's usually where we go with our thoughts. And, and when we go there with our thinking, we think, this is God does something amazing in our lives. And we say, this is my lucky day. Let's keep it running. Right? And so this is where we usually go with it. We say something like, This is the day I should probably buy that lotto ticket. Right? I never bought one before in my life, but if I ever was going to, this is the day to do it. This is the day that I should apply for the job that's so far out of my league, but that's my dream job. This is the day I should apply for it. Kind of like luck or something kind of just falls on you and you just run to, you run with it until it runs out. And we say this, for the Israelites, we're going, if there was ever a day to go up against Jericho, this would be the one. You've just walked through a river. You know, strike while the iron's hot, keep going while you can. But that's not what they do, is it? They get to this other side of the river and instead they stop. And they don't just stop for a little bit. They don't just catch their breath. They stop for days. In fact, we know they crossed on the 10th. They celebrate the Passover on the 14th. So there's four days there just to wait for the Passover to come in. The next day, we know that they're sitting around eating unleavened bread and, and roasted grains, so there's five days. Then it tells us, so they take this time, first of all, to celebrate, and what was Passover? Celebrate what God had done back in Egypt. That was 40 years ago. And they're celebrating what God had done to get them to that point, from the beginning of the journey all the way to the end. Well, then, And this is where things get a little PG-13. But it says that the people of God had been wandering around in the desert. And one of the things about the covenant that God had made with them is that the males were all to be circumcised. And so all these men that had been walking around in the desert for 40 years, they hadn't been. And they said, so on that day to consecrate them for what God was doing, they said, we gotta circumcise everybody. Now, if you wanna talk about something You know, in the same way that, you know, crossing a a river miraculously would kind of give you inspiration to keep moving, if you want to talk about something that really doesn't inspire you to keep moving, it's probably that, right? In fact, for days, you probably just want to sit around and do nothing. Months, I, I would give up the journey right then, probably. So we know there's some time in here. And there's this big gap where they're celebrating God and they're consecrating themselves to God and they're taking the time to do that and they're building this place called Gilgal. Now, I told you we were going to look at Gilgal because Gilgal, for literally thousands of years, Gilgal, they thought was just a town. And there was probably a town that was built up around one of these places called Gilgal. But um, it, it seemed from the passage that this town, there should be this town between the Jordan and Jericho called Gilgal, and they never found it. They found a place called uh, Gilgal, uh, but regularly in Scripture they found not just one, but it, it's confusing because it sounds like there's one over by, uh, there's one in the mountains, and there's one over by the river, and there's one in the hill country, and there's one kind of down south, and and they're not. Uh, they were confused why they would name so many of these towns Gilgal, and not only are they. Not only are they all called Gilgal, but they're referred to not just as Gilgal, but the Gilgal, which is really weird for a town. We don't usually call our towns like the North Kingstown or the East Greenwich or the, War, right? We, we just And they didn't either. And so to call a town that, it, what's interesting is that only in the last 20 years, there was an archeologist that was digging and he was really pursuing this in, in Israel, Uh, and only in the last 20 years they have come to understand that Gilgal is not a town. It's actually a structure. It's a structure that was set up, and it's 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 not temporary because they've actually lasted to this day, but it wasn't so much a town as a meeting place, and it was called the Gilgal, and so they would meet at the Gilgal, and the Gilgal was set up in this place where they camped. It was set up later upstream to commemorate this place, and those 12 stones were moved up there as kind of a uh, um, Long term kind of setting for this. It was set up in the mountains where they, they uh, at this altar on Mount, uh, Mount Ebal, that, where they consecrated themselves and, and recommitted their kind of re-consecrated themselves to the covenant that they had made with God. It's where they confirmed their kings later on in their history. It's where prophets like Elijah and Elisha would do ministry out of this place and these places called the Gilgal. So we go, well, what is, the geek? what is this place called the Gilgal? Well, a Gilgal was this large enclosure. It had double rock walls around it. It was, it was large. It had room for an altar. It had room for a tabernacle. Sometimes it would have room for this like, structure where people would live, that would serve in those places. It had a large meeting space in it. And when, I, when I'm saying large, I mean about the size of like two to three football fields put together, large structures where they would meet. And what's, every one of them, every one of them, they found, because they, as archaeologists dug over the last 40 years, they found uh, probably a half dozen or so of these around Israel. All of them coming from the time period when Joshua and the people of Israel would have been going around conquering the promised land. All of them in Israel, all of them west of the Jordan River, and all of them, shaped in the form of, the right, of a right sandal print, like a right footprint, huge footprints in which they would meet. And this is one of the places where they set up this Gilgal that was set up just outside of Jericho is where they set up this ring of stones to remind them of all that God had done at that place. Almost as if, as they are going through the land of Canaan, they're saying, you know what? It's not just our footprints that are left on the sand here, but the very footprints of our God, too big to be us. The footprints of God are left on this land. And they've, they've, they've remained to this day. They have uncovered multiple Gilgals throughout, uh, throughout Israel. It was in these Gilgals, and in the early days, this is where, um, before there was a temple, they would regularly, they'd come for worship. They would celebrate feasts like the Passover. It was in these Gilgals that they would come together and they would worship and they would seek God. It was in these places that they would consecrate themselves. It was in these, these places they'd make up battle plans. You know, I was telling you, I love these battle plans that God comes up with. It was in this gilgal. That Joshua sought God and he said, what are we supposed to do? And God gave him this this plan of, okay, what I want you to do, tell me about this battle plan, to take out this walled city, this fortress. He says, I want everybody to go down there, walk around it once, don't say anything and go home. Second day, you go down there, everybody, don't say anything, walk around it and go home. Do that for seven days. Seventh day, this is where things change up. This is where you know, you're gonna see the walls fall and everything. Walk around it seven times, don't say anything. At the end of it, just shout real loud, blow all the horns, the walls will fall down and you get the city. I'm going, what military design book did that come out of, right? Who comes up with that plan to take out a walled city? But this is where God says and shows them, you know what, you're over your head. It's not gonna be you. It's not gonna be you doing your best to take out this city. This is either gonna be about me or it's not gonna happen. They say, okay, we'll go with your plan. This is where Joshua, when he meets this, this, this angel, this being, and, and he says, he finds out he's the captain of the Lord's army. He says, okay, then tell me what we need to do. Because this isn't about our footprints on the sand. This is about your footprints. That's why we make these Gilgals to remember to remind us, to remind others. But that's a Gilgal. And the question is for us is, you know, we have stuff like that, right? We have those circumstances, we have those rivers, we have those floods, we have those things that we face, we have those walled cities that we're trying to take down that seem to be fortresses in our lives, those habits, those those things that just won't lose their grip on us. And we say, How do we take these things out? And God says it's not gonna be you, right? It's gonna be me. So don't go rushing in as if somehow, you know, in your last greatest victory, that gave you the, the, you know, the spiritual whatever or the luck to go down and take out everything else that you're hoping for. Take the time. Set up the Gilgal, set up that place. What is that place in your life? Where is that place? When is that place? That you go to meet with God, that you have set up a time and a space where you just listen, where you just worship, where you just consecrate yourself to him. Where's that place in your life that if people were looking at it, they they find no, no reason for it aside from the fact that it shows that the footprint of God is in you and you are in his care, not the other way around. You're not somehow carrying luck with you as you go. It's he that's leading. Where's that place that you've set up? Because that's a Gilgal. And that becomes a really personal question, I think, for us, is where is that place? Where are where we set up not only the, the space for it, but also within it, the content for it, so that we have that altar, we have those those practices or those rhythms or those those disciplines, where we go to God in confession and we say, "God, I, I, I have, you know, I haven't done things right for forty years, and we need to make those right now before we go any further." Or we say, "We say, God, there's a celebration, there's a feast that we need to celebrate about the victories and about how you have brought us thus far." Where is that place that you do that? Because if we're ever going to face the kind of challenges that come at us in this. Broken world, in this world that is way out of our league, it's only going to be because we have those places where we meet with God and where He reminds us who we are and who He is and how we're going to go about this. Now, in our passage, you know, after they, they set up this Gilgal and they spent this. We find Joshua off surveying Jericho because that's their next challenge. That's that thing that's looming up on the horizon. That's that place that they got to get past and it is a fortress and he knows it. He's standing there surveying that and it says that he sees this man standing there and he has a sword drawn and he knows this is a spiritual being but he's not sure of the intent. He's not sure whose side this being is on. And so he says, are you, are you for us, or maybe are you for our enemies, our adversaries? Our, God, is this a sign to show us that you're with us, or is this a sign to show us what we're coming up against? And upon hearing that, this being, this, you know, and there's been debate about who this is, you know, Cheryl. Talked about that in, in Pastor Cheryl talked about that in her um, sermon too. This being is this a you know Jesus showing up before he you know he actually was born kind of a pre-incarnate Jesus? Is this an angel uh, you know some archangel of some sort? Is this what's known as the angel of the Lord where the Lord shows up? Kind of I don't know I don't know, but it's this being who when when Joshua says Are you for us? Are you, there's enough you know, just that Joshua doesn't understand what this is about, and he asks, and he says, are you, or maybe are you for our enemy? And it's like the angel that's being, laughs and says, no, no, for your enemies, come on. He says, I come here now as the captain of the Lord's armies. And when he says that, Joshua does an interesting thing because he falls down on the ground with his face to the ground and bows before him, and he says, then what do you have to say to me? What he recognized at that point was, if this is the captain of the Lord's armies, I may be the commander of the Lord's people right now, which is part of the Lord's armies, but if this is the heavenly captain of the Lord's armies, I need to know what the plan is. I'm not rushing ahead of him because either we're not gonna win this thing if we're not together on this. And this, obviously, this, this being has an understanding of what God wants us to be doing. So what should I be doing? And he bows down and he asks. And, and that's where they believe that the, the angel, this, this commander of the Lord's army, lays out for Joshua this battle, battle plan that, that then he takes back and he lets the others know about, um, but then he says something else. He says, you know, take off your shoes because now this is holy ground. It, you know, isn't that the kind of thing that we would love to have happen in our lives? When, when you go and you first get the first glimpse of that, that, just this thing that's coming up in your life and it's just, it, it's terrifying, honestly. And, and the closer you get, the bigger it looms and it, it just, it looks like it's just gonna eat you for lunch and that'll be the end of it. And as you're going forward, wouldn't it be great to have the captain of the Lord's army show up and say, hey, and you say, are you for us or are you for them? You know, is this just another layer to what we're going to have to deal with? Because it already looks bad. He says, no, I'm not for them. I'm for you. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if if when you came up against that, God said, and by the way, take off your shoes because I've claimed all this ground already. It's holy to me. So you don't even think twice about it. Take off your shoes and we could just say, okay, tell me what I gotta do. And we think, that, that'd, be, that'd be so easy then. But I want you to remember what happened on the way to getting there. Do you remember what we just talked about? What got us to this point? They crossed this river, it was a miracle. Instead of rushing off and doing whatever they thought of, they took the time, they they worshiped God for all that he had done. They remembered that he was the God who was with them. They consecrated themselves to him. They set up this place called Gilgal so they could come back and keep remembering who they were and who God was. And then they go out. And that's when the captain of the Lord's army meets them. Now, what made that possible? He says, I am now here. I am here now because, as the captain of the Lord's army. Now, why now? Because of all that had transpired before that. Many times we don't meet the captain of the Lord's army. We don't sense the presence of God going with us into circumstances or situations that are just beyond belief, challenging to us. We don't sense that because we haven't taken the time to prepare ourselves to meet God to go into those places. We think we gotta just, man, there's so much to get done to get ready for this thing. I just gotta work, work, work so I can even possibly, instead of saying our best preparation is to make sure that we have our best ally who's with us because he's the one who provides the foothold in the storm, not us. We're out of our league. Captain of the Lord's army was there because of everything that had gone before. So, again, I ask the question what have we done? What have you done? What have I done to set up that space? How critical is that? If we're going to, God wants to show Himself in our lives. God wants to show that it's not just us by Himself, God wants to leave footprints of His presence all over this space all over this world through our lives. And how does he do that? He does that through us, but it's through us when we've prepared for it, when we've actually taken the time to be with God and say, God, I gotta know your plan. And then we go out and we find God to be faithful. We find out that he's there. He's there to take us into that place, to carry us through it, to walk beside us, to split the ocean or the the river to calm the chaos, whatever it takes, he's there. He says he will in in the Old Testament. He says, you know, I'll, I'll be with you in the fire. I will, I'll be with you in the flood. I'll be the one that's standing by your side, holding it, and it will not harm you. But it's the Gilgal, it's the place, these places that we, this time and the place and the practices that connect us and remind us of who God is. So so how do we do that? I think, I just wanna leave you with a really simple plan because if this is something that you have in place, you know, some of us have gilgals that we've set up and maybe they've fallen into disrepair. Man, get them back together, you know? reestablish. what does that look like? Some of us, we're going, I don't even know what you're talking about. What do you mean set up a time and a space? Very simply is this. We need places and times, regularly that we can go and we can meet with God. They need to be set aside. They need to be set apart for him. We have this space as a community. This is what we do on Sunday morning. We come together to celebrate what God has done. We come together to consecrate ourselves to him, to tell him, and we've been talking about repentance and and revival and all that, and, and to come and say, God, I've messed stuff up in the past. That needs to be taken care of here if I'm gonna move into the future with you and see you move. That's what this is. But each of us as individuals, we need to do that. I had a friend uh, who had a chair that, that he, and a time that his kids knew, listen, if, if dad's in the chair and it's during this time, he's, that's his Gilgal. This is his place with God. You don't, you, don't wanna, you don't wanna disrupt that unless there's a real emergency going on. Now, luckily for them, it was around 5 a.m., so they weren't up that much. But they still, they knew there was this place in this time where their dad met with God. And they too would establish these places in these times. You guys, and it can't be, it needs to be a good time. So establish that place in that time. It's a setting, that place where you will listen to God. You will spend time listening to his word. You'll spend time in prayer, letting him know what's going on, but also listening to what he has to say about it. So it can't be like the five minutes on your way to work in your car. That's not, that doesn't work. It can't be you know, the last two minutes of your day where you're just about to fall asleep and you're reading you know, scripture and it's like you get three words and you're out. It can't be that. It has to be that time that you establish that you are there, present for God because he will be there, present for you. Now, it might take a while. We talked about it. So you find the time and the space. The other is establish the place, the framework, then fill it. Fill it with these practices. They had an altar and they had a tabernacle and they had a meeting space and they had, a, they, they had the memorial. They had, you fill it. You fill it with these, these practices, these disciplines, these rhythms of I'm gonna, I'm gonna read God's word. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go through God's word in this way. I'm gonna read scripture. I'm, going to, I'm gonna take this much time and I'm gonna set it aside for prayer. It might vary. I might need more time for prayer on some days, but these are the things that are gonna happen in this space. I'm gonna celebrate what he's done. I'm gonna thank him. You know, we, we bring our requests, but sometimes we don't bring our thanks all that often, right? I'm gonna do that, but establish this Gilgal. Now, you might go and you might show up there the first day and you know, you're like, I'm reading and I don't understand a thing I'm reading. I'm listening, I'm not hearing God say anything. Keep at it, keep at it. There's going to come a day that you go. I think I heard God tell me something, and you're going to go out and you're going to try, and you go, oh, it failed miserably. That you're going to go back. I don't think that was God's voice, because you're going to find that maybe there are all these other voices going on in your head too. All these lists that are saying you got to get this done, and you know, and okay, sift through that. That's part of what happens. That's part of the work that goes on in that Gilgal space. But keep at it, because there will come a day. There will come a point you take, it doesn't matter if it's four days or 40 days, that you got to be there to prepare for that day when you walk out and you survey and you see the army, the captain of the Lord's army is there with you and he says, Don't worry, I got this one, I've claimed it, you walk with me. Because it'll come. And that's it. Get the space, the time, the place, and fill it with the disciplines and the practices and the rhythms that will connect you and reconnect you and keep you connected with God. If you do that, you'll find that you don't go alone. You'll find that indeed it won't be just about that these are the places that help you find the foothold in this world, but instead that this is the place that it ends up that you'll find the footprint of God in you. Never underestimate, you know, That six inches of water that you look at and you see it flowing over, you say, that's not much, I could do that. In the same way, we sometimes look at things like this. We go, how is this gonna help? It seems insignificant. How will just spending time listening to God and reading the Bible, how is that gonna help? But you're gonna find that there is a, the same way with that water, that force that came through, there's gonna be a a power that comes through that that establishes you in ways and goes before you in ways that you can't even imagine. That you can't even, you can't even imagine, you, you cannot see it. It's like the plans that he gave to them for taking over this land. It's just, they want to come up with it on their own because God is constantly showing himself to be God and not us. And so don't, don't ever, don't ever go into a stream. Don't ever go into your life. Don't ever go into that current without having that foothold. Don't ever underestimate the importance of that space, that Gilgal in your life. Amen?